Hi, this is Chris with the Reluctance on Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to episode two. Uh, today is April 30th, 2020. We are uh, still under shelter-in-place orders from San Francisco's mayor. Uh, Texas is getting back to normal uh, starting the first of the month, and we'll be reopening all restaurants and everything. San Francisco has decided to extend it until the end of May, so uh, hopefully more podcasts very consistently, and uh, you'll be hearing from me a lot if you choose to listen. So uh, just a quick plug, if you're interested in following along with the podcast or keeping updated on what's going on uh, with the wines that I'm drinking or or the podcast in general, uh, feel free to follow my Instagram, Reluctant Psalm, uh, at Reluctant Psalm, if you're on Instagram looking for it. Uh, the pod, the Instagram will primarily be pictures of, uh, wines that I've had or wines that I've had in the past, wines that I'm currently drinking. Um, I'll be covering beer and liquor as well. I don't want to kind of make it exclusively about wine, um, because I don't really think that that's all that a Psalm is or does. Um, in a traditional sense, there's sake knowledge and, and, um, spirit knowledge and beer knowledge as well. Uh, pretty much anything as far as the uh, beverage industry goes. So that being said, if you have any feedback for me or you'd like for me to speak about anything in particular, feel free to let me know. Um, you can send me an email on thereluctantsom at gmail.com. You can uh, respond to my Instagram uh, or you can uh, send me a um, message through Podbean, which is the streaming service that I'll be using until Apple uh, certifies that my podcast can be played on there. Um, so for now, uh, you'll be hearing from me on Podbean. So I wanted to speak briefly on the origins of the name uh, for the Reluctant Psalm. Um, the Reluctant Psalm isn't necessarily who I am, but it's just some part of me, if you will. The name Reluctant Psalm makes it seem as though I'm unsure that I want to be a psalm. And that's somewhat the truth. It's uh, The literal definition of uh, reluctant is unwilling and hesitant or disinclined. So I was very hesitant to become a psalm. Partly accepting the position that I'm in, I was considering going into the wholesale distribution. So... It was kind of a fork in the road between two different lives, the life of distribution, nine to five. Uh, Obviously, they say it's not a nine to five job. You work wine dinners, you work late nights. Um, It's not as easy or glamorous as it sounds. It's actually quite difficult. Or the life of a psalm in a restaurant, working nights, working weekends, working holidays. Um, You know, getting to the point in my life where have to ask the question, what's my plan? What do I want to accomplish? What do I want to get done? And I think I oftentimes overthink everything. And in doing so, I was very reluctant to become a psalm. And I've always been reluctant to move into a position just given a little self-doubt or maybe given questioning myself of, am I good enough? Am I ready for this? Is this what I actually want? So the reluctant psalm, again, isn't exactly who I am. It's just, you know, a little guy bouncing around in the back of my mind. Anyways, um, I will try my best to stay on topic through almost all podcasts, and will do my best to keep most of the podcasts um, not extensive and not tiring to listen to, try to keep them interesting. 
But that being said, I do go off on some tangents. And if you'd like me to elaborate on any tangents I go on, again, send me a message and I'm more than happy to. So uh, just a little bit of an update on myself. Uh, In the previous podcast, we talked about furthering wine education and we talked about the different branches of wine education that you can go into. Well, the one that I was showing the most interest in was the WSET, Wine and Spirit Education Trust. So I took a mock placement test, if you will, uh, or a mock test of the level two WSET, and I did quite well, indicating that I should attempt for WSET level three. Currently still under decision whether I'll be doing it before the end of the year or at the beginning of next year, but something that I'm definitely looking forward to moving into. Uh, Also, certified SOM is something that I still would be interested in. I'd like to really just round out my experience altogether. And I think one of the best ways to do that is a podcast and talking to you and having people on to interview. And if you'd like to be interviewed, let me know. I'm more than happy to have you on and listen to some things. Because again, we can make each other better. Um, The Florida Lease is the symbol for the Boy Scouts. And it kind of stands for iron sharpens iron, man sharpens man. Saying that, you know, only through participating with each other, whether it be competition or whether it be um, working together, we can make each other stronger and make each other better. And I'm always interested in learning new things. And I think a big part of that is being willing to have the conversations. Maybe conversations some people don't want to have. Maybe conversations people do. But if you'd like to have those conversations, I'm more than willing to do so. So on my Instagram post uh, to celebrate my first podcast, um, I made the decision to drink one of my favorite wines. Now, when I say favorite wines, people often ask me, what's your favorite wine? What's the wine that you would drink above all other wines? And I always say that that is incredibly dependent on the weather, how I feel that day, the company I'm with, the food that I'm eating. Um, it's so much more than just a favorite wine, an all-time favorite wine. There's certainly some out there that stand out to me as kind of crown jewels in, in the tastings that I've had and some that aren't so accessible. If I could drink Domaine Romanicanti every day, I would, but it's just not reasonable. So that being said, one of my go-to California reds, um, is Cyrus by Alexander Valley Vineyards. So Cyrus is the meritage from Alexander Valley Vineyards. Uh, They're located in Sonoma. Um, The winery location is in Healdsburg. So the 2012 vintage of Cyrus is what I had. Um, Cyrus is named after Cyrus Alexander, who is one of the first homesteaders in the region, and the valley is named after, Alexander Valley, is named after Cyrus Alexander. So Cyrus Alexander's original homestead is located on the property of Alexander Valley Vineyards. The homestead is actually something that you can still stay in. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of creepy, but it's really fun to stay in. It's a really beautiful uh, piece of architecture. Uh, It's really nice. If you have the opportunity to stay there, I highly recommend it. So um, in 1963, the Wetzel family bought the property. In 1975, they opened the winery. Um, The 
wine for Cyrus wasn't brought out until I think 95, 96. They took a little bit of a hiatus for a while um, and then re-released it in uh, 2005, I believe, and then made it ever since. So the wine, again, is made in honor of Cyrus Alexander. And so that being said, they named it Cyrus. Um, And also they chose not to just focus exclusively on one grape varietal. They decided that they wanted to make a wine that was well-rounded and elegant and complex and somewhat like the terroir of Sonoma, very unique. So this is a cab-driven red blend. It's certainly not a light wine. Uh, It's definitely no Pinot, that's for sure. But this is a traditional Bordeaux blend. So traditional Bordeaux blend has five grapes that it could be made from especially in Bordeaux, not so much in the United States, not as much of a restriction. Bordeaux blend is just something that we kind of toss around. But a traditional Bordeaux blend is made from either uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Cabernet Franc, Petit Verdot, or Malbec. So this wine happens to have all five. Um, It's 76% Cabernet Sauvignon. So the wine does have the structure of a traditional Cabernet. But they round it out with a little bit of other grapes. So it's 12% Merlot, 7% Cab Franc, 3% Petit Verdot, and 2% Malbec. So a little bit of representation of all of the grapes, and each kind of has its own purpose. From vintage to vintage, the blend will change. And I think that they do that partially because they want to make the best wine possible that year, not necessarily a... um, wine that changes vintage to vintage. So it's never 100% of anything, and the blend is never exactly the same. So some quick notes about Alexander Valley Vineyard, because I think they're kind of an interesting winery, as as they have a half of an acre uh, that's actually built down underground where they do most of their barrel aging. There's some other barrel aging going on, but half an acre of that is underground, underneath a hill was next to the winery. They couldn't really... um, expand the winery and they didn't really want to build the cellar far away from them so they just dug into the hill that was right next door kind of interesting it serves as a really great um, insulator for the barrels and it keeps the humidity high and it keeps the temperature low uh, which allows the barrels to really just kind of age well and not be under a lot of stress so the wine is made by kevin hall kevin hall came on board in alexander valley vineyards i believe in 1998 Uh, So he's been there for about 22 years, Um, 21 harvests, I think. Um, He graduated from UC Davis with a master's in enology. Uh, He, prior to graduating with his master's in enology, um, worked for Sebastiani in Sonoma and worked for R.H. Phillips in Dunnigan. After graduating with his master's in enology, he went on a few small stints in Germany and New Zealand and did some work over there. Uh, in wineries about a year. Came back, started working in Alexander Valley Vineyards, and then he just kind of settled in and uh, about a year later became the lead winemaker for Alexander Valley Vineyards. So the Cyrus that I had yesterday was really lovely. A lot of chocolate, a lot of dark fruit, kind of spicy, a little bit of a cedar box, uh, a cigar box. So upon trying the wine yesterday, I had it with beef ribs really delicious. It went really well with some of the spices and the brown sugar. But I think that I drink it a little too warm. So we can get into a little bit of a discussion here 
about temperature of the wine and the serving temperature of the wine. And people have asked me before, does temperature matter? The answer is yes. And I like to use the analogy of uh, cheap beer, which I talked about in the last podcast. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, But if you've ever had a Coors Light warm or you've ever had a Bud Light warm, they certainly are not delicious and refreshing as they are ice cold. But inversely, if you have an IPA or a stout that's a little warmer, they're somewhat more enjoyable. You get a little bit more flavor out of them. The bitterness from the hops doesn't overwhelm the palate because you're actually allowed to taste some of the other profiles in the beer. So for wine, it's important to have a good serving temperature. It's not the most important thing. I, it's a kind of a divisive thing to say. I'm sure I'll get some backlash if anybody actually listens to this, but um, I think storage is kind of a very important thing. And sometimes even with that, a wine can be corked and you could save the wine for 25 years and the wine was just bad anyways. And it had nothing to do with how you stored it or the temperature you served it at. But I think temperature is important for serving the wine and storing the wine. You don't want a lot of temperature fluctuation. You don't want it to be up and down and kind of all over the place. You want it to be pretty consistent. And when you're serving a wine, especially wine that's pretty big and bold and has a lot of dark notes to it, serving it with a slight chill on it is really delicious. So last night I had it room temperature, which at the time was about 78 degrees, and it was good. And it's still one of my go-to California reds, but it was kind of lacking. I felt like the alcohol was a little too high. And so I chilled it down and I tried it a little bit earlier today and I really like it with a little chill on it and about a day's worth of breathing and it's drinking really well. So, you know, patience is sometimes the key and I didn't need to have a glass right away with my ribs. I could have had it after, but also I didn't necessarily have the foresight to chill the bottle or open it and let it breathe beforehand. So, a few other wines that Alexander Valley Vineyards makes, uh, besides Cabs, Merlots, Chardonnays, which are all great wines, they have this really fun product. And I don't know if they're still producing it, but it's one of my fondest memories of Alexander Valley Vineyards, besides Cyrus, obviously. The Wicked Weekend Pack. So the Wicked Weekend Pack was a um, three-bottle box that came with uh, three different Zinfandels that were made by the winery. Uh, the first winery was Temptation for Friday, uh, Sin Zin for Saturday, and Redemption Zin for Sunday. So those three wines, you could normally pick up retail. You could get the three-bottle pack for normally pretty cheap. I think it was around $40, and you get to try three really unique interpretations of Zinfandels. And I think oftentimes we try wines in the industry, and we have something that we think, wow, this is really good. And then we try another wine from that winery and maybe we don't like it as much. And sometimes I think that the winery might have a different interpretation of what's right or what's wrong for the grape or what they're aiming for, what they think could be the best representation of the grape. However, I do think that it's important to try multiple wines from the same vineyard uh, or the same uh, winery. And the reason I say that is because Just because you had 
a Cabernet from Alexander Valley Vineyards doesn't necessarily mean that you'll love their Chardonnay. Um, so I think that it's important to expose yourself to these things and try these things, especially if you become a wine professional, because before you just steer somebody in the direction of something you've never tried, it's important to try it. Don't just make a safe bet with a winery. There's a lot of amazing wineries, a lot of really unique wineries, and I certainly don't have anything against them. I just think that sometimes we get a little bit comfortable with a name, and I don't think a name necessarily means uh perfection. I don't think it means deliciousness. And just because we don't like something or do like something doesn't mean that somebody else won't or will. So subjectivity is a topic that I was thinking about a lot today and and also uh, pride along with last week's discussion of humility. Um, But anyways, subjectivity. So subjectivity is something that I think plays a really large role at wine but I think it plays a large role in life. And I think that when you're exposed to an experience and you try something for the first time, if you don't enjoy it, you're less likely to try it again. So you might be predisposed to no longer participate in an event or in that particular thing that you don't enjoy. That's subjectivity. Um, It doesn't mean that it's not great. It doesn't mean it can't be fun. It doesn't mean that it's not enjoyable. It just means that you don't like it. And I think sometimes people will put their concept of what's good and what's bad and kind of paint it across all lines and kind of make it the standard for everything else. And I think if we hear somebody's opinion on something and we don't like their opinion on something, that's subjectivity also. Uh, You're allowed to not like their opinion, but they're allowed to have their opinion. And part of that is because everybody views the world in a different way. Everybody views the world in different light. And it's because of the experiences that we see things the way that we do. And some people aren't huge fans of Cyrus Cyrus Red Blend from Alexander Valley Vineyard. Some people think it's pretty good or it's really good. And there's not, I don't want to say there's not a lot of people, but I am one of the people that really stands behind my belief that it's a really delicious red blend. But does that mean that everybody has to like it? No. Does that mean that me as an educated drinker should influence what you like or don't like? No. If I suggest something and you want to try it, that's great. And I'm really happy that you tried it. But try to approach it with an open mind and see if you actually really like it or if it's just something that you like because somebody told you to like it. Um, I think we see that a lot with brand recognition and advertisement. They tend to um, have an impression upon us and have have an impression upon us what is high quality and what is low quality or what is good and what is bad. And I think at the end of the day, you kind of have to sit and have a discussion with yourself if you like it or if you don't like it. Um, because at the end of the day, that's what's really important. What's important is what you like, what you don't like, what makes you happy, what doesn't make you happy. And that's your reality. That's your universe. That's your subjectivity. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's very important. And speaking on pride a little bit, I think pride is another one that kind of gets to us, nips at our heels a little. And I think that part of that is is not 
appreciating someone else's subjectivity and not understanding or accepting it. And I think that that's a really important thing, again, that I've learned from wine because there's been plenty of times that I've sat down and had a discussion with somebody and I've said, try this wine. It's amazing. It's my favorite wine, especially in the younger years when I realized that favorite is subjective to day, flavor, temperature, again, what I'm eating or who I'm with. Um, Again, more lessons of humility. But trying these wines and sharing these wines with other people and not seeing the reaction I wanted was something that I always kind of struggled with. It was something that was almost like a slap in the face. Like, how do you not like my favorite wine? What, what do you mean you don't like it? And it was hard for me to comprehend that somebody might not like something that I like. And I used to take it obviously a little bit uh, harder than I do now. And now if somebody doesn't like it, I might still get a little upset sometimes, especially if it's a wine that I'm really passionate about. But at the end of the day, I think everybody should find a wine that they love and everybody should find a wine that they really enjoy. And part of that is trying lots of wine, which doesn't sound like too much of a chore. I'm sure if any of us had a chance to just try through a lot of wine, we probably wouldn't mind it too much. But I don't think that it should just stop at wine. I think that it should extend into spirits. It should extend into beers. It should extend into most things in life. Um, So I'll just talk kind of briefly about uh, one of my first lessons about whiskey. So younger, started working in the restaurant industry, had been drinking wine a little bit, but didn't really understand much about spirits in general. And so when I went out to drink as a young man, I would order vodka cranberry because that's all I knew really what to order and that's all I really saw anybody order and that's what I would drink. And it wasn't necessarily that I enjoyed it, it was just that that's what I thought I was supposed to get. And there's nothing wrong with Cape Cod or vodka cranberry, Um, but I don't think that you should try it and have it be your standard drink if you haven't tried other things. Now, if I go out, I often drink a gin martini, which is sometimes a good decision and sometimes a really poor decision, uh, depending on the events of that night or if I have any prior obligations, which oftentimes after a gin martini don't go according to plan. But again, I kind of wanted to speak about whiskey in particular. So I started working at a nicer restaurant than the one that I was previously working at. And I had a table of gentlemen come in, businessmen, and they were interested in knowing the whiskeys that we had. And off the top of my head, I could only name a few. And they asked about some that I had never heard about. And I said I'd ask the bartender. And they kind of scoffed, like, you should really know this stuff. And I thought in my head, like, wow, you guys are needy. But... Really, I mean, they were just coming in for a really great experience, and most of the whiskeys that they were asking for were worth a decent amount of money, and if I was going to sell those, I could make some money off this table. So I walked to the bar, and I asked the bartender, and sure enough, in the back of the bar, covered in dust, is a couple bottles of the things that they're asking for. I said, how do you want me to ring it in? Which the bartender replies, "Uh, there's a button in the computer. So I go to the computer, I ring these whiskeys in, They're about $35 each. All of a sudden, my check average is through the roof because four people at $35 a drink is uh, 
$140 for one round. Needless to say, they didn't have just one round. They continued to drink whiskey. So all this time I was focusing on honing my skills on wine or learning more about wine, and I forgot to look at the big picture. I forgot to look at the beverage industry or spirits or liquor beer wine as a whole, and I chose to kind of go a little bit into like a a microscope. I chose to focus on one thing, and that one thing at the time was California Cab. So I decided, much as I decided when I wanted to learn about wine, I was going to do it just so I could know more than the other people, and so I wouldn't feel embarrassed. But I was certainly never going to enjoy these things. I started drinking, and the first thing I drank was Johnny Walker Red. It was the first thing that was around, first thing I got a chance to try. It was okay. I just still didn't understand why anybody would drink that over a vodka cranberry. Vodka cranberry was so much more delicious and refreshing. So then I started trying things like Shivas. Wasn't a huge fan. To this day, I enjoy Shivas, but I'm, I, there's so many other things to drink. Tours after that. And then finally I tried Glenlivet. Glenlivet 12-year whiskey. Scotch, more specifically. It was really delicious, and it was the first time I had ever had a single malt scotch. So it was the first time I had ever experienced kind of a purity in taste. And it kind of struck me, oh, maybe I like scotch. So, of course, I think I know everything, as always. And I dive into the scotch menu at the local bar, and I order Lafroy. So anybody that knows scotch and knows Glenlivet and Lafroy knows that they're the difference of night and day. They're polar opposites in the scale of scotch. So I get a pour of Lafroy, I drink it, and I make probably the most disgusted face I've ever made in my life, uh, which the bartender was watching, because anybody that drinks Lafroy, you sometimes think, do you really know what you're drinking? Because that's a pretty strong flavor profile. And I definitely didn't. And the bartender looked at me and said, hey, do you like that? And I said, oh, yeah, it's fine. And he says, well, if you'd like, I could pour you something else. And I said, I don't know. I really like Glenlivet. And I was trying for something like that. And he said, oh, let me take this for you. This is definitely not what you're looking for. Poured me a pour of scotch, and I loved it. This was the first time I tried Balvini. Balvini is a scotch that's made by Glenfiddich which I later fell in love with Glenfiddich as well. Balvini 12-year, to me, is kind of a staple scotch that a lot of places carry that would kind of be a go-to for me. It's really delicious. It's not overly opulent-style scotch. It's not too sweet. It's not too smoky. It's really a delicious, delicious product. So I tried Balvini, and I thought again, okay, maybe I like scotch. So I tried a few more things, and... They were okay. Well, I went back to this bar a few months later when I decided I needed to learn about bourbon. And I walked into the bar and the bartender saw me and he said, hey, Lafroy boy. So, of course, I got a little bit of a nickname and his coworkers laughed because obviously he told the story about the young hotshot that walked in and just totally disgusted himself. So I sit down and obviously, you know, you got to take the beatings as they come sometimes. 
So he walks over to me. He says, hey, what scotch can I pour you? Do you want me to pick you something? And I said, you know, honestly, I'm trying to get into bourbon. And he goes, I thought you were just trying to get into scotch. And I said, well, you know, sometimes when I put my mind to something, I try a lot of stuff. Or uh, aka, I get really drunk. So I tried probably 30 to 40 scotches in the time since I talked to this guy. And a lot of them were similar styles to what he recommended. And he recommended that I go home and look at a map of scotch producers and look at the different reason regions. And that was the first time I ever took an interpretation that a scotch from one area of Scotland could taste different than a scotch from another area of Scotland. And at this time, I wasn't educated in Bordeaux or Burgundy. So all of this was a new concept to me that you mean Pinot Noir from California tastes different than Pinot Noir from France? Beyond the winemaking style, there's the climate, there's the terroir, the taste of the land. All things that were a new concept to me. So the bartender's excited, asks me what I've tried. I regale him with my list of drunken stupor, uh, as much as I can remember of what I had. So says, impressive. Okay, you want to get into bourbon. What do you want to try? And I said, I don't know, man. Maker's Mark. And he looks at me and says, you sure you want to try Maker's Mark? And I looked at the bartender who steered me in the right direction the last time. And I said, why don't I try Maker's Mark and the second one you can pick out? And he said, sure. So I tried Maker's Mark. Neat. It was okay. It wasn't really for me. It was a little too sweet, especially after drinking something like scotch. So then I go, he comes back to the bar and he says, how is it? And I say, oh, it's okay. He goes, here, put a little ice. So I try it with a little ice, totally different whiskey. It changes everything. We kind of get back into temperature. So I don't know how true this study is, but I heard a while back that 80% of what, tastes, 80% of what you taste comes from what you smell. Well, if you're drinking a neat whiskey and you're drinking it out of a narrow glass, those alcohol vapors are evaporating really quickly. And the second you drink it, all of those alcohol vapors are going right up your nose. And a lot of times that's why liquor burns. If you see a lot of young kids drinking, which is illegal and I do not condone it, but it does happen. Sometimes they take shots and they plug their nose. They're drinking more for effect than flavor. And hopefully so, given off of the normal products that they drink when they're just trying to get to that point. I know I certainly would not like to taste some of the things that I drank then. So if you put some ice in the whiskey and it cools down the flavor, even a few cubes, I'm not talking about drowning it or making a snow cone, but a few cubes can lower the temperature of the whiskey, which lowers the rate of evaporation, which allows you to taste the whiskey a little bit more easily. Some purists think that this is blasphemy and that it's horrible and it's an upheaval. Again, subjectivity. I think that if you want to try it or you like it, do it. If you want to drink your Maker's Mark with Coke, that's your prerogative. Drink it. I don't normally drink Maker's Mark and Coke, but that doesn't mean that's not a drink that you can enjoy and that you should enjoy. Well, I finished the Maker's Mark. The second whiskey comes. The bartender sets the glass down in front of me. The color is slightly different. I can't really tell. I smell it. The smell is quite different. This seems a little stronger. Seems like it has a little bit more vanilla to it. I try the whiskey, Scott, um, bourbon, and I 
really kind of take a moment and just think about it. And it's so drastically different than Maker's Mark. Not drastically like Lafroy and Glenn Levitt, but drastic in the sense that it was a totally different whiskey. And again, my world was broadened with perspective. This whiskey doesn't just come from two different regions of Scotland. This comes from the same town. This comes from the same state, from the same country. Like, are you telling me that there's that much of a difference in whiskey? So the whiskey that he poured me was um, Eagle Rare, 10-year bourbon. Eagle Rare 10-year bourbon to this day is still something that I like to always try to keep on hand. It's a really good bourbon that I just kind of enjoy sipping on regularly. Uh, It's something that I recommend to people if they are not familiar with bourbon and they want to try something a little different from some of the mainstream bourbons. That and Basil Hayden. Those two are kind of some of my go-tos. But anyways, I later built a pretty good relationship with this bartender that I was going in to see and... Later on, he ended up working for me when I started managing a restaurant. And he was a blessing to have work for me because his knowledge was so far superior to mine. But anyways, the moral of the story, beyond subjectivity and beyond pride, is sometimes trust. Trusting another human uh, or another employee of another restaurant to steer you in the right direction towards something you might like. Some cases it's a bartender. Some cases it's a server suggesting a food. Sometimes it's a car salesman maybe actually looking out for you and not just trying to get you to buy the most expensive car. But sometimes it's a psalm. And that's not something that I thought that would be in my job description when I decided to become a psalm. And only through this unfortunate time of COVID-19 and the time to reflect have I actually had the chance to discover that people trust me to steer them in the right direction. And most of the time, I do a pretty good job. So the next time you find yourself out, and the next time that somebody suggests something, maybe take their suggestion. Might introduce you to something new. Might broaden your horizons. Anyways, uh, that's it for today. Signing off. Again, if you have any questions, please feel free to message me on Instagram or Podbean, and I'm more than happy to get back to you. Have a great day.